Uh, eschatology, uh, as I've told you before, comes from the Greek word eschatos, uh, or eschaton, which means the end, uh, the end of things. Um, it is a division of theology. There's many divisions of systematic theology. Uh, systematic theology is a systematic arrangement of all doctrines as they relate to a given topic. So the doctrine of uh, theology, doctrine of God, bibliology, doctrine of the word of God, um, doctrine of pneumatology, study of the Holy Spirit, etc. So when you get to eschatology, it's usually the last one in a systematic theology book that you study because it is the final thing. It is, it is God's ability to prophesy with precision, with specificity, um, not in generalities. And to do it in such a, a, an unbelievable way, he leaves no doubt that the Bible his word, is, is, is his word. So of all of the holy books that I have studied, uh, they, they lack the ability to do what the scripture does because they're not from God. Uh, they might have moral principles and things they say about how to live life, but they, they, don't, they don't discuss the, the greater questions of life and how they should be answered and validate that based upon prophetic utterance because only God is outside of time and space and inside of time and space to be able to tell you what's gonna happen. So when I, you know, years ago, read and studied Ezekiel chapter 26, um, uh, the prophecy from the prophet Ezekiel prophesying the fall of the fortress of Tyre, one of the greatest fortresses at the day and time, um, it was 250 years before it actually happened. But when it happened, you can go back and look at the evidence, how it happened in history was precise. You can go down and check off the, the, the bullets. It, it was a exactly like God said, your stockbroker doesn't even know what's going to happen by the end of the week. Because if he did, you'd be buying a lot of whatever he said, right? And if you are a stockbroker, I apologize. Uh, you are not omniscient. Uh, but, uh, but God is, is omniscient. And so prophecy is the ability for God to foretell the future with precision. It validates his word as is the word. And it also gives his people hope because he's the God outside of time and space that tells us what's happening in time and space. That gives us hope. When things happen, we're like, what in the world? Well, God says, I, I've told you about these things. Now, when Paul founded this church in Thessalonica, uh, he uh, spent time, as we see in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, teaching these brand new Christians about eschatology, which you're like, it's kind of strange. Like you think if you became a new Christian, you would be focusing on, you know, a whole lot of Bible studies on who's Jesus and why is he the Messiah? And you think you'd be talking about harmar theology, the doctrine of sin, you know, what is sin and where did it come from and, you know, stuff like that. So Paul talks about these things, but from what we see from 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he drilled them on eschatology, the study of the end. And so uh, why would he do that? Well, he wants to give them hope because he knows, he knows that uh, the times are going to get more difficult as we approach the end of time and God's judgment of the world. And so he wants to give Christians hope that when they see these things unfold, they will not fold like a lawn chair, that they will stand strong and true uh, and represent Christ well. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, uh, verses 13 to 18, we've already studied this. Let's just review. Um, do you remember what that was about, by the way, if we had a test? That was the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And so they were messed up on what the rapture of the church was. And they were thinking, because people had planted into the church, you know, uh, uh, anybody that's a Christian that has died is going to miss the glory of the Lord's coming. You know, it doesn't seem fair. So Paul comes along and says, oh, no, 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 you got that, you got that all wrong. Uh, before the, the tribulation occurs, God's just going to snatch his church out of here. He's going to deliver his church. Uh, and let me explain to you how this is going to happen. He explains it. And then in chapter 5, he, he tells you flat out, we as the church are not destined for the time of wrath, the tribulation. He says that in chapter 5. When you get to chapter uh, 1 of 2 Thessalonians, he waxes eloquent 
uh, regarding the persecution they faced because they walked away from their, their paganistic culture and embraced Jesus, so they're persecuted. And so he tells them, in, uh, if you were here for the last sermon, which I, do you remember it? It's been a month. Well, it was about persecution. And he tells them, this persecution you're undergoing right now, uh, have hope because the Lord Jesus himself will deal with your persecutors. They will not go unpunished. Uh, I'll, I'll be with you through this, but I'm going to deal with them personally. Well, then when you get to chapter two, uh, which is where we are uh, this morning, and it's 17 verses. And if you think we're going to cover them all in one morning, think again. Uh, there's too much here. Uh, and what Paul's going to tell them here is, uh, I've heard uh, since I wrote the first letter that you're kind of messed up on the, the tribulation. And, and people had infiltrated their church and began to teach them that because they're persecuted, they're in the tribulation. And Paul's like, uh, I, never, I never said that. Uh, and I need to help you understand that. So it doesn't take long. They, they theorized between First and Second Thessalonians, it was a couple of months. So it doesn't take but a couple of months for, for all of us to kind of go off the rails on things. Because all you got to do is start listening to somebody else going, well, they sound educated. They sound smart. They sound godly. And maybe they're right. Maybe Marty's wrong, etc. cetera. Uh, so what he's going to tell them in this passage is how to prepare yourself for the tough times that are prophesied at the end. How to prepare yourself. It, because they weren't getting prepared. And so well, what am I supposed to do? Well, he's going to tell them two things that you need to think about. Because remember, they were told you're in the tribulation. And Paul's like, that's, that's heretical doctrine. That's not what I taught you. So his first point of a two-point sermon is going to be, and I apologize if you're always looking for three points. There's not three. There's only two. Um, his first point of two points is don't be hoodwinked. Have you ever been hoodwinked? Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't want to admit it? It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I, I went and bought a car one time and um, I, I learned my lesson on how to buy a car um, because what they told me and what I actually ended up paying were like two different things. Yeah. yeah, and so when I finally got my payment book and I opened it up, was flipping through it, my interest rate was 16.9%. You know, that's what I said. <gasps> You've got to be kidding. You ever watch those cartoons where the eyes pop out and spin around? <laughs> That was kind of what happened to me in my kitchen. And 16.9%, this is unbelievable. Anyway, uh, I got hoodwinked. Trust me, if you ever shop for a car with me, I am full of questions. Uh, my wife's here. Is this true? Are you here? Yes. I asked lots of questions. Why? I don't want to get hoodwinked. I don't want to get took. I don't want to be deceived. And so Paul says, some of you have been hoodwinked by people who have infiltrated your church and taught you things that are not doctrinal. This is how the devil works. No one's going to come in here with a whole long list of things they want to be taught that are not biblical. They are not going to tell you, hey, I'm Steve. I'm the heretic. <laughs> They're not going to say that. You're not going to meet them at the door greeting them. Hey, good to see you in church this morning. Hey, just want to let you know, false prophet here. Just, I mean, we might laugh, but they're not going to do that. They're going to come in and you're going to go, wow, they kind of seem like my grandpa. Oh, she's such a nice, sweet old lady. Really? But if she's espousing stuff that's contrary to doctrine, we got, we got issues. And this is what Paul's facing here. So let's get into the text, right? You ready? Don't get hoodwinked. Number one, verse one. Now he says, we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our, the church, our gathering to him, well, that you and I might not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from us 
to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way do what? Hoodwink you. <laughs> Deceive you. Trick you with false teaching. Uh, so let's, let's get into that. So um, here they are confused about the, the timing of the tribulation. And they think they're in it. Because people have infiltrated their church and they're telling them that, that they're in it. And Paul said, uh, no, that is not the case. You are not in the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord um, is an Old Testament concept. Uh, it occurs 19 times in the Old Testament, that phrase. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a term you'll find in the prophets concerning the day when the Lord God himself shows up to judge the world definitively. So right now, God just deals with sin indirectly. Then it's directly. I mean, just read Revelation 6, the first of the sealed judgments, the very first set of them at the end of them, go read it, chapter six. They run to the mountains and run into the caves to hide from the wrath of the lamb of God. They know it's Christ, but they won't turn to him in faith. And so he, he looks at this situation and he tells them, is this the day of the Lord, this persecution that you're facing? Nah, no, it's, it's not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is much grander than this. Uh, when I was at Dallas Seminary back in 1981, uh, Dr. John Walbert was the president, second president of the school. He was the leading authority in eschatology at the time. What is eschatology? Study of the end times. He was the authority. And I love studying under Dr. Walbert. So here's what he says about the day of the Lord as a concept, quote, uh, in a word, it, the day of the Lord, is a period of time predicted in the scriptures when God will deal directly and dramatically in judgment or in blessing. He says it includes the tribulation time, which is how long? Seven years. How do we know that? Because Daniel prophesied that in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Uh, it includes the tribulation time preceding the second advent of Christ or the second coming when he will deal with human sin directly. And it includes the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, how long is that? thousand years, uh, when he will directly pour out his blessings in the kingdom age. Uh, it will culminate in the judgment at the great white throne, Revelation 20. The day of the Lord is therefore an extended period time lasting over 1,000 years, really 1,007 years, uh, and that unfolds in two distinct phases, the seven-year judgment phase and the thousand-year blessing phase. That's the day of the Lord. He tells the, the people in, in Corinth, you're not in that. You're not in that right now. Yeah, your times are tough. You're being opposed by your culture because you've rejected all the godless teaching of the day. You embraced Jesus as the savior, the Messiah. But this persecution you're experiencing is nothing compared to what's gonna happen when the day of the Lord reveals itself. Um, so he says, you're gonna get raptured before this happens. He just told them that. What chapter did he tell them that in? Of what book? I was just going to walk around with a mic one day and just talk to you individually. What you? <laughs> I had a professor that did that. I, just, I was always looking at my Bible like, don't. Everybody in the class was like, don't make contact with him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary. Uh, what did I just ask you? Oh, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the rapture of the church. So, so how do I know there's going to be a rapture of the church? Well, let's think about this. Before we, we look at Paul's, two reasons why we're not in the tribulation. Uh, let's, let's make some uh, uh, opening observations about getting hoodwinked. Um, he says there's going to be the coming of Christ or what the Greek text says, the parousia. Uh, and he says you, there's going to be the gathering of the saints. Uh, and, and it's a preposition wedded to the word to gather. So it's gonna be an, an uber gathering. Like what well, uber means over. If, <laughs> unter means under, uber is over. 
I mean, off the grid. I mean, don't you know when Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds and you're translated from your body to your resurrection body and you begin to lift off to go see Jesus in the clouds with the angels coming down to meet you, you're not gonna look at that and go, it's not as spectacular as I thought it was gonna be, right? You're not gonna do that, right? Hope you're not. You're gonna see that and hear that. You're going, oh yeah, I'm, I'm coming. A super gathering. So the fact that he takes these two words, the coming of Christ uh, and the gathering of the saints, and he only uses one article, one, one, the, the letter the, for two nouns, means it's the same event. He's not talking about two separate events. He's talking about one event. He's talking about the rapture of the church. And he says, uh, I, I've already talked to you about this if you look at verse five, but we as Christians tend to forget what the Lord told us. He says, Let's, let, let me remind you about the rapture. So uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, that I studied eschatology under in 1981, and then got my doctorate in apologetics from Dr. Geisler back in 2018 before he passed away. Uh, here's here's a, a chart to review that for you to understand that he put together uh, why there is a rapture and the rapture is not the second coming. So here's what uh, Geisler says. The rapture is all about us meeting Jesus where? In the air. Second coming is we're coming back with him in the air, coming back to the planet. And number two, uh, he takes believers into heaven in John 14, 3. And in Revelation 19, he brings believers back to earth. And by the way, just to remind you in chapter 19, when we come back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation, you're riding a horse. I've told you, if you don't know how to ride yet, you might want to start taking a few lessons. And what are you going to be doing during that seven-year you know, time in heaven while he's judging the earth? Probably... Learn how to ride a horse because you're coming back with him because uh, he says so in Revelation 19. Uh, rapture is about him coming for the saints. Second coming, he comes with his saints. How important are prepositions? How important are prepositions? Very, very. Uh, First Thessalonians 4.17, only believers see him when he comes back. Uh, everyone's gonna see him when he comes back in the second coming. So when the rapture is taken and the church is gone, the believers or unbelievers are gonna go, hey, uh, well, what happened to my Uber driver? <laughs> Guy pulled up and then the dude wasn't there. I mean, et cetera. Et cetera. You don't want your pilot disappearing 40,000 feet over the Atlantic, but they're, they're gonna, so what are they gonna say? Like, where did we go? I mean, do you ever contemplate this? I mean, why the big brouhaha on UFOs? It's convenient. Devil knows what's gonna happen. How are they gonna answer this? Well, aliens took them. You know, I just poofed just out of here, like transporter room in Star Trek. They're just gone. I don't know where they went. So they're going to come up with something. Maybe climate change zapped each one of them. I mean, who knows? But, but it's totally different. The rapture and the second coming, only the believers are going to see him. The, the lost are going to be clueless. Uh, rapture, no signs precede it, meaning it's imminent. So does anything have to happen before Jesus appears again? No, no. So he could come at any moment. He could come today at 12. Uh, he could come today at 5. He could come in 10 years, but it's always in a place of imminency. The, the tribulation is totally opposite. Um, many signs precede it. In fact, when you get into the tribulation and you study uh, Revelation chapters uh, 6 through 19, there's 21 judgments that happen, uh, well, sequentially, and you can time them because it gives times to them. It's, that's not like the rapture. And then lastly, the tribulation begins after the rapture. And after the second coming, it's the, end, it's the beginning of the kingdom of Jesus, the messianic kingdom. So he says, uh, you people in Thessalonica need to remember what I told you. You're not going to be here for the tribulation. That's what they were being told. 
So don't be hoodwinked by, by heretical teaching that doesn't follow scripture. Number two, uh, do be honed in. Honed in on what? Eschatology. Do you get up in the morning and study it? Nobody's, no? Yeah. Uh, do you like studying the prophets? They're like, well, books are you talking about? Like a lot of them, like, you don't know? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, etc. Those books? You ever, you ever study those books? What in the world? Uh, you study those things. He said, you need to be honed in to, uh, to studying eschatology. Now, think about this. In chapter 2, notice what he says. He says, for it will come, the, the rapture of the church, unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's that? He's the son of destruction. Uh, who, what's he do? He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he's going to demand worship. Uh, so that he makes, takes his seat in the temple of God that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. They're already preparing for this. I take people to the temple institute and show them they are, they've already made a lot of the priestly implements. Um, so I'm just adding commentary to the scriptures if you're wondering. So uh, he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. So he tells them, there are two reasons why you as a church are not in the tribulation. Your times are bad, but it's not the tribulation. Why? Answer one, you haven't faced the massive apostasy that's going to happen. Apostasy. What does apostasy mean? Apostasy. Uh, in Greek, it means to renounce what you formerly believed. It means to openly rebel against what you formerly believed. Apostasy. Uh, can, a, can Christians apostatize today? Yeah. Is there any apostasy in your life? Because if there is, you're departing from that which is a sound doctrine, and you, well, I don't like this, this doctrine. Uh, you're backing up from it. This is sin. And if that's happening in your life, confess that to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me, restore me, give me better understanding of how you do things and why you do what you do. But to drift from sound doctrine uh, is, uh, is to commit the sin of apostasy. So Paul says what's going to happen is there's going to be a massive apostasy. What does this mean? So first and foremost, contextually, he's talking about believers. So he says this is the apostasy. So how important are articles before words? Very. Because if there was no article there, then it would be indefinite. If it was indefinite, he would say there's going to be an apostasy, right? But now, you like grammar, right? I mean, yeah. You haven't forgotten in a month we study grammar. Why? Because God it anointed the grammar. He says it's going to be the apostasy. So there's two ways you could classify this Greek article. Uh, option one, grammatically, par excellence use of the article. This is a most unusual type of apostasy or the monadic use of the article. There's only one of these. Like there's only one son, uh, the son. It, there's only one of them. This, there's never been an apostasy like this. So uh, are we in the tribulation right now? No, we're not in the tribulation. Uh, they weren't in the tribulation. When the New Testament time comes for the tribulation, what will happen? There will be a worldwide apostasy from church or from, a, from believers walking away from the faith. What do you see happening in our world today? That's what you see. You, you're seeing churches, uh, whatever you want to say, go woke, whatever you want to classify them as, they're walking away from sound doctrine and embracing all kinds of other cultural teachings that are contrary to the Bible. Does that mean that we're in the tribulation? No. Why not? Because this is merely a precursor to what's going to happen. 
the apostasy. So after the church is raptured and taken into heaven, and the Lord judges us for uh, our, our rewards for how well we served him, uh, down here on the earth is going to be an apostasy from truth because they're going to in turn flip and worship the, the beast or the antichrist. So they're going to walk away from sound doctrine. So what are we watching each passing day? We're watching more apostasy from truth among Christians. Well, I, I just don't like the church's view on sex and gender. It's, it's just, you know, it's binary and it's restrictive and there's only two sexes and two genders. That's so unloving, so unkind, it's not affirming. I, I just can't go to church there anymore. Well, I'm sorry, I can't change what the scriptures teach. And truth is truth. I mean, God made a man, God made a woman. And you can cut, him, cut a person up, drug them up, dress them up, and they're still whatever God made them, right? So the other thing's a deception. But people are apostatizing over these things. And it's like, how in the world? But it's the world in which we live. Uh, our, our world is heading into greater apostasy. And our goal as Christians is to not apostatize, is to hold on to truth. So when you think about your pastors, on past, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You should, should pray for your pastoral staff that they maintain course in godless times that we are men and women devoted to biblical truth no matter what. And we are. Pray for your elders, uh, your, your Sunday school teachers, etc. So Paul says uh, the apostasy is coming. Since it hasn't come, you're not in it yet. MacArthur, John MacArthur also likens this apostasy, not just to religious people uh, after the rapture of the church. He likens it unto the Antichrist himself. Why? Because he's the next person mentioned in Paul's statement here. So what's the Antichrist going to do? He's going to apostatize in a massive way. Because as, as we just read, he's going to set himself up as God in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Uh, if we get to go to Israel uh, this, in, a, in a week, we will take you to Jerusalem. We will take you to the Temple Mount and we will go up, if we can get up there, uh, we'll walk past the, the, the Dome of the Rock and I will give you the archeological evidence why I believe the temple used to be right next to the Dome of the Rock because they're gonna rebuild it. They're already working to rebuild it. And what's gonna happen one day? The Antichrist is going to desecrate that temple. Much like probably uh, uh, the solution warlord Antiochus Epiphanes did when he slew a pig on the altar, something like that. And then he's gonna set himself up as God. So you have the beast, the antichrist, uh, the false prophet, his sidekick, and Satan, satanic trinity, trying to get the world to follow him. And Paul says the apostasy that that's gonna be is not happening yet. So you're not in the tribulation but you're seeing things being set up for that. The second thing Paul says, the second reason they're not in the tribulation is the lawless man is not here. That's just a, a name, a code word for the antichrist. He's also called the son of destruction. Um, he says he's gonna take up his seat in the temple of God. He's gonna display himself as God. And then he says in verse five, don't you remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Hello, we talked about this, remember? So the lawless man, uh, the antichrist. He has many words that describe him throughout the scriptures. Um, he's called the little horn in Daniel chapter seven, verse eight. Uh, he's called the man of fierce countenance in Daniel eight twenty three, etc. He has many names throughout the Old Testament. Here, Paul says, I'm going to call the antichrist the man of lawlessness. So if you take the word law, namas in Greek, and you take the uh, first letter of the alphabet, alpha, A, and you wed it to the noun, you negate the meaning of the noun. What is lawlessness? It's the negation of law in order. What are you watching in our day and time? The negation of law and order, lawlessness. So crowds can overrun a Nordstrom store 
and go shopping and no one stops them. Like they write new laws, like in California. If you steal anything under $1,000, it's a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. And we're not going to prosecute you. And you're, and you're kind of basically free to go. Okay. Like downtown DC. Is it dangerous to drive your car in downtown DC? Yeah, unfortunately. Because they've had a thousand carjackings in DC. And, that, and that, you know, stealing cars, like with you in it. Uh, it's, it's just lawlessness, isn't it? It's, it's everywhere you go. Uh, he says, what's going to happen? There's going to come a man, a Satan-inspired man, who's going to be the epitome of lawlessness. That means he's going to be against law, and he's going to create his own laws. Uh, and so what we have is, is a precursor to that. What we're seeing in our day and age is a love of lawlessness. So, uh, well, what do we do? So, well, well, because some police officers are not that great, we'll defund all of them. Great move, bad move. Probably not a good move. Why? Well, because there are great police officers that hold back evil. And then we'll, we'll make new laws so we can prosecute officers to kind of get the rest of them kind of curtailed so they can't really do their job. What's this lead to? Lawlessness, chaos. This is merely a precursor to what's coming down the pike. This is not the tribulation yet. It's a precursor to what it will be when the man of sin will get rid of laws and come up with his own laws. Like if you don't have my neighbor, number on your body, you can't buy, sell, or trade. Can't go to the grocery store, can't buy a car, can't put gas in your car. He will be the ultimate status totalitarian ruler. Paul says, you, you haven't found him yet. You're seeing lawlessness, but you haven't run into him yet. That's why I know you're not in the tribulation. I don't know about you, but aren't you glad there's going to be a rapture of the church? I am. I am because when God directly deals with Israel and the godless in the tribulation, it's going to be an ominous thing. Uh, what have you done with Jesus is the question. Today's an age of grace. Jesus calls all men and women to come to him in faith and be saved. What's our goal in the meantime, since we're not in the tribulation, to live a life that reflects Christ, to love people around me, show compassion toward them, call them to truth, and, 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 and call them to evaluate their life and, and make sure they know Christ. That's the question. Are you doing that? And if you don't know Christ, today's the day to come to know him because no man knows the day that he's coming. How important is eschatology? Very important, because it gives us hope that when we look at lawlessness increase, we don't lose our breath, but we say, nah, prophesied. But what, what does it mean to a Christian? Well, it means I, I, I pursue as best I can law and order, because that's what we should be doing, because God has created it. Uh, the Lord is coming again, as we saw in that old, that old tune. Are you ready for him? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk about Paul's prophecy, his, his greatest and most lengthy prophecy in any of his books. Uh, bless us because of what we've studied. Uh, may we not be fearful, but courageous uh, to uphold the power of the gospel to transform sinners into saints. Uh, thank you that you indeed are coming as the king of kings uh, to deal with sin and evil and to bring in a kingdom of righteousness. And we look forward to your coming. Might we be found living in obedience to you prior to your coming. And for those who don't know you, draw them as you only can do to yourself so they can be saved by faith. In Christ's name, amen.